Praise the Lord. I think I got my mic on. One of the misunderstood descriptions of believers in God's Word is found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Both Testaments provide evidence of it. It began with Adam and it ends with Christ. Adam being the first man, Christ being the last. Today we're going to learn we're kings and priests by opening God's Word to Peter's first letter. But before we go there, I want to remind you that we touched on this text last week as we examined being heirs of God and heirs of Christ. It's written in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that believers are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Almighty God has already made us His special people. He has chosen us to be His people. He's made us. It's a past tense. It's not something we're looking forward to. He accomplished the work that made all of this possible through that Roman cross that His Son willingly went to and sacrificed Himself on. Being the high priest, He gave Himself as the sacrifice. And you have to know more about the priesthood to understand how that works. I'm not going to go into all that background stuff because time won't permit us. But you have to understand that He did the work, not us. We are the beneficiaries. Remember that term from when we became heirs. We're the beneficiaries of His work. Before we open God's Word, I want us to pray. Father, all of us need You. We need Your wisdom. We need Your discernment. Lord, we we need You to help us with faith. We believe, and yet we need help with unbelief. Lord, I know that I'm weak, but You are strong, and I need Your help to speak clearly only what You want me to speak. Please take hold of my mouth, Lord. Give me unction to speak by Your Spirit what each of us needs to receive. I pray, Father, that You would use me to Your glory today. We want Your authentic Holy Spirit power to reign here in our individual lives also, Lord. Please block any distractions. Overwhelm us with Your Holy Spirit-filled Word and make us people of love for You and for our neighbor. I ask that You would grant to Your servant here, Lord, that by Your Spirit, with all boldness, I may speak Your Word through the name of our Lord and Savior, the one we call Jesus, Yahashua, Messiah. I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. All right, so let's open to 1 Peter chapter 2, and uh, you'll find that if you want to open the Bibles there in your seats on page 1855, be nice if I had a market for myself, huh? Page 1855, you'll find that right after James, 1 Peter chapter 2, it's on the lower right corner of page 1855, and I'm sure Tony probably has it up on the screen. And uh, here we're going to read this former fisherman's uh, letter to Hebrew people, okay? But it extends to all of us as believers. Now, this is the word 
which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and what's implied there is all hypocrisy, not just some or most of it, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the milk of the Word. The milk of the Word? The Word of God. That you may grow thereby. If. Don't you hate those ifs in Scripture? If. 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 If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In other words, if you've been blessed by the grace of God, do these things. Coming to Him as a living stone, referring to you as the living stone. Oh, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed." But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you. This fisherman is begging people? I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, or in this case, the unbelievers. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation when Christ returns. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. I read a little further there. I praise God for his word and asked that he would add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. The text offers us several sections. The first section and the last section are like bookends or like bread to a sandwich. And the meat is found within those two ends, okay, those two pieces. The first part there is therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. That's the first section of that text. The final section of the text that I had planned to read 
is found in verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. When they stand before God, they will be able to praise God because of your good works. And those two pieces of Scripture sandwich the meat for believers. They illuminate the parameters of the narrow path. You've heard that the way of Christ is a narrow path. It's not a broad path. It's a narrow path. It's like the highway, okay? When you're on the road, there's lines, right? The lines keep you in where it's safe for you to be. Well, this is what these passages are saying. Here's the guidelines. Here's the the parameters within which you operate. Like those painted lines on the roadways, they provide safe boundaries for our traveling through this life. And that's the short list, okay? The Scriptures are full of lots of other things that tell us what to do and what not to do. We must not think that somehow we don't have to obey those. In fact, because God's Word shows that He wants obedience from His people. Staying within those boundaries shows our obedience, which also reveals our love of God. Because when we love God completely, we don't go against what He says to do or not to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, we have 68 verses. It's a long chapter. We can read each one if you'd like, or I can give you a little paraphrase. The first 14 verses give us blessings, blessings for obedience. But the next 54 verses gives curses for disobedience. And if you really want to know when things are going wrong in your life, why they're going wrong, read that. Read Deuteronomy chapter 28. And you'll see the things that are going wrong in your life because they come actually as curses for disobedience to God. Now, I'm not going to get into all that, but it's clear. God's Word is clear. God never, our Creator never stopped wanting obedience In fact, Christ, the sinless one, was absolutely obedient, and this is how He became the one that was chosen to be used of God as the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. The next section of the passage that we read speaks of Christ as a stumbling block, as a living stone who was rejected by humans but chosen of God. That's the next section in the text. Peter, that former fisherman, led by the Holy Spirit, he quotes other passages of Scripture, and some would say he took them out of context, and today especially modern theologians decry what Peter did. He brought a piece of the text. He didn't bring the whole thing. He said, here's what it means, because he understood Hebrew thought. He was a Hebrew. And his words were later translated into Greek and then from there into English. And so when we read them, we've got to deal with these complexities of the languages, and somehow, sometimes, the meaning that was conveyed there is lost in the translation. First, he quoted the ideas that were found in Isaiah 28 and verse 16. And He does this to make it clear to us that Christ is the foundation of our faith. Christ is the one who founded our faith. He is the foundation. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, it's written in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. You're not going to do it for nothing. Christ our Lord was sinless. He was fully obedient, completely obedient to the Father, completely obedient. And as such, Peter refers to him as the foundation of our faith. You see, Peter, as I said, he understood Hebrew thought. And he made it clear that what was written in the Old Testament Scriptures applied to God's people through Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, we heard him say, Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. He's precious. To you who believe, he's precious. And to further support his point, he quotes two more passages of Scripture. And only pieces even, not even the whole text that it's found in, just the pieces. Speaking of those who are disobedient, he quotes Psalm 118 in verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And he gives a piece of Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. He will be as a sanctuary, it's written there, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. But he only quotes that little piece, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. As a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The disobedient find that Christ is not the answer for them. They haven't turned from their disobedience. They haven't accepted His sacrifice. And this is a real challenging thing for us because we don't want to say that it's by our work, but there is a turning that is required. We have to turn from our wickedness and turn unto Him to live His life that He lays out for us within those boundaries. The Scripture very clearly points out. And He makes it all possible through His sacrifice by cleansing us. Speaking of those who are disobedient, Peter made it clear. They stumble, being disobedient to the Word to which they also were appointed. We're appointed to obedience. We're chosen for obedience. There's no way to get around that, folks. The, the Word is clear. We may not, as Paul says in one of his letters, we may not go on sinning and expect to have something because we don't have it if we're not living it because our lives are living sacrifices unto God. And we'll get to that. They stumble, being disobedient to the Word. The one we call Jesus was completely obedient, and therefore... He was supremely blessed. And now do you see why Peter stated what he stated in the beginning and the ending of that passage that we read? Those are boundaries for godly living. The way we live shows our obedience or our disobedience to Almighty God. Either we are living obedient lives or we're not. God wants us to live obedient lives, and He enables us and empowers us to do that by giving us the tools, most notably His Holy Spirit, who removes that, that, that place where we're bound in sin, 
Christ took away the sin. He freed us from the prison. And the Holy Spirit enables us to stay out of jail, that prison of sin. Our lives are either living sacrifices to Almighty God or they're not. In Romans 12:1, it's written, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's not unreasonable for God to ask that we live our lives holy and acceptable unto Him. It's not unreasonable for God to say, here's the lines for that narrow path. Stay within them and you're doing well. It's not unreasonable. In Hebrews chapter 13, it's written, Therefore, by Him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Sacrifices are to be without blemish. Whenever the priests were offering sacrifices on behalf of the people that they were offering those sacrifices for, those sacrifices had to be free of blemishes. And what sadly happened was the priesthood learned that they could make money by selling the sacrificial parts, the, whether it was doves or other animals. They learned they could make money on that. And so the people weren't bringing their best. They were sacrificing something they had bought. They paid a price for it, but it wasn't their best. And that's where the breakdown came. And God, on behalf of humankind, gave His Son, the absolute sinless one, perfectly sinless as the sacrifice. There's none better. There's no better way. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Do you hear where the sacrifices come from the priests of believers? The doing of good works, the praises. These are things that God calls sacrifices. And as the priesthood of believers, we are to give those sacrifices unto God. We are to be praying people. We are to be praising God. This is why we do these things. It's not just something that's a ritual. We're not just doing something just to do it. We lift up our praises to God, even when we don't feel like it. And see, that's the important thing, folks, okay? Because it's not about us. I had a professor one time that told me, praise God whenever something goes wrong. And I was like, praise God? How does that work? He said, it's not about you. It's about God, and you're giving Him that sacrifice of praise. You're offering to God that sacrifice of praise, even when you don't feel like it, because it's not about your feelings. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about Him getting what He deserves because He bought and paid for us, and He asks us, He wants us to give Him praise. And we can praise Him even in the storms. We, can pray. we sing songs that have those very words, praise Him in the storm. And we need to be doing that, even in times of trouble. We see the whole world's falling apart. We have to say, praise God. He's on His way. He says so. Amen. He tells us He's coming back for His people. And when He redeems His people from this earth, He says, we're going to rule with Him. We'll touch on that a little further along. We're going to rule with Him. But right now, we have a role as kings and priests, as rulers and 
those who offer sacrifices, the sacrifice of prayer, the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of good works, all unto Him. Now, you might have noticed that I intentionally jumped over verse 5 for a moment, okay, because I was talking about the other verses in that passage we read. In Christ, verse 5 calls believers living stones. started touching on it there at the end of the last section. To build a spiritual house for Himself, a spiritual temple. We are the temple of the living God. We individually and collectively are the temple of the living God. And we talked about that, I think, in the very first message of this series, which was probably uh, three months ago or so. We are a spiritual temple, and we're offering our praises and our prayers, our good works, as sacrifices to God. And not only are we a spiritual house for Almighty God to dwell in, but we're also a holy priesthood. And see, that's where the connection comes together. We offer those things to God as the priests of God. It's not just me, folks. It's not just me. You all, whether anybody ever taught you this or not, you all are priests to God. You're all rulers to God. And you have a role in those, both of those offices, if you will. You have a role. Praises and prayers. We're a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. All of those things, prayers and praises and giving thanks and good works, those are all spiritual sacrifices according to God's Word. And there are other passages of Scripture which I haven't brought into the message to cite because it would add a half an hour to look at them all. But the Word is clear. Those things are spiritual sacrifices. And good works are a part of that. So who are you? <clears throat> That's the title of the series of messages. Who are you? You're kings. You're priests. You're a kingdom of priests. God's Word makes that clear. All believers are in this priesthood, not just a special group. God's Word is clear about that. And it's been concealed for far too long in the body of Christ because the people of God don't recognize who they are. This is the point of the series of messages so that God's people will understand who they are in Christ. We're going to look. I think the final message will be when we look at the fact that we are the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And if you look at all the messages that I've delivered on this topic of asking that question, who are you, you'll see that it all adds up to the fact that we are the bride of Christ. He's coming to redeem us. He's coming to take us to be with Himself, and we will serve and reign with Him forever. This is what God's Word makes clear. Your priests, a holy priesthood. Some say the priesthood of believers. And as priests, you pray, you praise, you give thanks, you do good works. And other people see that. You know, there was a the priesthood that started with Aaron, Moses' older brother. Aaron was the priest. He was the first high priest. And he was from the family of Levi. The family of Judah was where the kings came from. The family of Levi is where the priests came from. Aaron was the high priest. 
and the offspring of Aaron, because of their lineage, were priests. Well, how did that change? Because before all of those who were designated priests to serve in the physical temple, we can read about another priest, a priest who didn't come from a lineage. We first read about that priest in the 14th chapter of Genesis. That's where we learn of a group of kings who rebelled against the one who ruled over them. It was a group of kings that rebelled, and they took people hostage, and one of those people taken hostage was Abram, who was later renamed Abraham, Abram's nephew, Lot, who lived in Sodom. And this could be compared in modern times to maybe like city mayors rising up against the governor, or maybe governors rising up against the president of these United States. Sort of. I mean, it's not exactly the same because our, our system of government is different. Our system of government is not kings ruling over other kings. But the rulers rising up had to be stopped. And so Abram assembled his 300 and some guys who were all fighting men, and they were ready to go to battle, and they went and they defeated these kings that had rebelled. Abraham's nephew was saved because Abraham defeated those rebellious kings. After Abram defeated them, the king of Salem blessed Abram. And uh, there are those who believe that Salem is what is now called Jerusalem. And uh, that king who blessed Abram was also a priest. And do you know what he used? He used bread and wine in his blessing. Bread and wine when he blessed Abram. And then I have to ask, do you see the correlation between Christ, our high priest, using bread and wine and what we call communion, which normally we would have had today? But my wife, being sick, didn't want to transmit anything to anybody, so out of an abundance of caution, she backed off and said, we'll do this next week. There's a correlation, because Christ offering the bread and the wine, He instituted the priesthood of believers. He passed it on to us. And that king and that priest who had blessed Abram, his name was Melchizedek. Melchizedek. His name means king of righteousness, and he's both the king and the priest. And he's foreshadowing Christ as the true king of righteousness, the true king of peace, because Christ brought peace for us to God. We are now at peace if, in fact, we are believers. We're at peace with God. And when we look in the seventh chapter of Hebrews, we, that's where we find out that his name means the king of righteousness. But that 7th chapter of Hebrews also gives additional information that connects Melchizedek and Christ. Unlike the priests who would later be appointed because of their lineage, there's no record of Melchizedek's beginning or ending. There's no record of his lineage. He was not made a priest because he was related to someone. God made him a priest. Who made Christ a priest? 
Christ came out of the, the lineage of Judah. That's the kingly lineage, not the priestly lineage. Who made Christ the priest? Almighty God. Almighty God made him the priest. God appointed Christ to be a priest because he has that power that comes from God, and that's everlasting life. It's in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 16. Christ has the power of everlasting life, and God made him the high priest for all of humankind because of that. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11, it's written, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Why would God raise another priest if, in fact, the Levitical priesthood was enough? He wouldn't have. But it was imperfect. See, but the order of Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek was perfect. And I know this is a meaty message. You've got to get this straight, though, folks. You really need to comprehend this because you are in the order of Melchizedek. You are priests. You're a kingdom of priests under Melchizedek, under Christ. Long before the Mosaic law, Abraham gave Melchizedek a tenth of the grain he received, excuse me, the gain, not just grain, it was everything that he received as the bounty in that war whenever he took over those other kings. He gave Melchizedek a tenth of it. It's called a tithe. Long before the Mosaic law was laid down, long before the tithe was established in the law, here's Abram giving a tenth of everything that he had gained to the priest. Why would he do that? Because it was God's law, not man's. It wasn't Mosaic law. It was codified in the Mosaic law. It was made uh, uh, evident this is something to do, but it's long before the Mosaic law. And, and there are those who say, oh, the tithe went out with the law. When Christ took over, the tithe went out. And I said, well, it predates the Mosaic law. So how do you say it was erased? It wasn't. And they must have skipped that part in their studies. And there are many who teach that it was wiped out with Christ's sacrifice, but it's clear that if it was for Melchizedek, it is also for God's people today. It's written... In Hebrews 7, 17, that the Holy Spirit, quoting Psalm 110 and verse 4, proclaims Christ as a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In Christ, believers are a kingdom of priests. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, it is written, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And remember, believers are grafted into Israel. We don't replace Israel. We are a part of Israel. We've been grafted in, and God's Word makes it clear, don't boast against the, 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 the cultivated olive tree because you can be cut off. Revelation chapter 1, it's written, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests 
to His God and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Who made us kings and priests? Christ Himself. Christ Himself. He washed us. He's the firstborn from the dead, ruler over the kings of the earth. He loved us, washed us from our sins in His own blood, and made us kings and priests to His God and Father. That's who we serve. We serve Almighty God. Now, it's also written in Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, And now, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. You see, that's why it's important, folks, <clears throat> because we, the people of God, made kings and priests by Christ, will reign together with Him on this earth. That's why Peter's description of the boundaries is so important. We may not live however we believe we can outside of those boundaries because you go outside of the boundaries and you're heading for a shipwreck, you're heading for a car wreck, you're heading for whatever you want to call it. You've got to stay within the boundaries, and God makes it clear. His kingdom and His power and His glory are forever. We pray it. Christ taught His disciples to pray Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, there's a caveat there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Who do we serve? God. And we're going to serve Him forever. Get used to it. Get used to it now, on this side of eternity, so that everything else falls away, and all you want is that narrow path. All you want is to live how He wants you to live. That's not legalism. Calling yourself into account to Almighty God as a king, as a ruler, as a priest is not legalism, folks. There's nobody putting down a big long list of rules that say you got to do this, you got to do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. But God's Word is clear. He has parameters for us to walk within in this life. And there's many passages of Scripture, we're not going to get into them, but there's many that give those parameters, that lay them out for God's people. As I wrap this up, I, I want my call to each of you who hear this message to be what Almighty God has chosen you to be. He's chosen you to be His own special people. He's chosen you to be kings or rulers. He's chosen you to be those who minister unto Him with prayers, with sacrifices of prayer, with the blessings of praise, with good works. Those are my children. Wow! As it's written, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We started with this passage, and I'm going to read it again because I want it to be that sandwich that pulls it all together for you. A holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. 
Proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his own marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See, that's the point. God has given you mercy. He has bestowed his grace upon you. And your sacrifice of your life, your whole life, your body, every part of you, all of your existence is unto Him. And that's the third section of our opening text. I hadn't named it that before, but that's what it is. The purpose of our calling in Christ is to proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His light. That's it, folks. That's our purpose in life. To live for Him. And that's so hard today because you have so many different voices that are saying, well, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that, or you have to do this, or you have to do that. You get all this mixed up stuff, but when you really focus on the Word of God, He makes it clear. This is where we are to be as His people. Adam was given dominion over everything on earth. It's written in Genesis. God gave him dominion. But he abdicated his throne to the enemy of God. And it stayed with the enemy until Christ returned. When Christ came to the earth, when he was born, that set in place a course of events that is unchangeable. And each of us are going to rule one day with Him. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20, we learn that our Lord became high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Almighty God restored dominion to humankind through His work. And He made us, all believers, to serve Almighty God as rulers and ministers. It's in, by, and through His work that we're able to do what it is that empowers us to do what it is that He calls for us to do. Revelation 20 and verse 6, it's written, Blessed and holy is He who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. We, the people of God, who obey the Word of God, who live as Christ led us to live, we who live as Christ wants us to live, we rule with Him for a thousand years until the enemy is released again. And then there's that whole prophetic look of how that's going to happen, and I'm not going to get into that, but you need to understand you're rulers, you're priests of God. And when you get that, when you really get that, your life changes. It really changes. And that's what I want for all of you. I want you to recognize that you are kings, rulers, and priests unto God. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You've made the way for us to be rulers. You've made the way for us to be priests, to serve you to praise You, to worship You, to give us that strength, Lord, that You give us to live our lives as living sacrifices unto You. We praise You for that. We thank You. 
I ask, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit upon each one within the sound of my voice, and that we collectively would in fact serve you as the rulers and priests that your Word declares that we are. And I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Pardon? Oh, yeah, we could receive an offering. All right.